This is the Astrology University podcast, helping you find inspiration, insight, and connection through the study of astrology. And I'm your host, Tony Howard. Well, hello, and welcome to this episode of the Astrology University podcast. I'm really happy to have Frank Clifford with me here today, and we're going to talk about data collection. So thanks for joining me today, Frank. Hi there, Tony. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I've, I've been wanting to have this podcast for a while, and, and uh, I, I've been wanting to talk to you about data collection because I know it's a passion of yours, and it's been a passion for a long time. And I, I think you'll have some really great info to share with people today about that. So let's just jump right in if you're ready. Okay, I'm ready. Thank you. Awesome. So um, I thought we could just start by talking about how you got interested in data collection. Oh, oh well, um, they, gosh, that's interesting because um, I guess I started teaching myself astrology at 16. So that was 30 years ago. And one of the first books that I picked up was one of Lois Rodden's books, the Profiles of Women book. And I'm always, as you know, I'm always saying you learn astrology uh, with a biography in one hand and a chart in the birth chart in the other. And her book was just a, a treasure trove of charts and biographies of people that interested me. And they were really my first teaching tools. So uh, I, wasn't so much of a collector at that point. It was more that I wanted to learn and I wanted to learn from real life examples. And so I ended up collecting because it was just the thing I wanted to do. I realized that if I wanted the data, I would have to go out and get them. And uh, over the years found all sorts of ways of, of managing to get hard to find data through people, through birth registries, writing to celebrities, just jumping on them in public, all sorts of things that you, you learn to do as a, as a shy but bold Aries. Yeah. <laughs> that's the person who would do it. That's, that's great. So, yeah, I guess we should maybe rewind just a tiny bit and just explain what data collection is, and that's just collecting uh, chart data, um, usually of, of famous folks or notable folks that you're trying to study or learn about or that you're interested in. And so it sounds like, you know, you just got started by doing the work of looking at charts and, and that just naturally led to collecting them. And, and, but, you know, it's, it seems like to me, like one of your first books here is, is this uh, British Entertainers, The Astrological Profiles, which is a really, if you guys haven't seen it, it's a really great book to kind of get you into looking at several charts with kind of brief um, snapshots from the bios. So definitely check that out. But you uh, you got a little bit more interested in the data collection than the average person, I'd say. I did. I mean, Lois used to call us data freaks because <laughs> we were people that would just spend uh, hours and, and uh, a lot of time just going further. There are not many of us left, really. Uh, I mean, Lois died in 2003. Ed Steinbrecher died. Um, Dana Holiday. Um, and there's Cy Schofield, who does a lot of work for Astro data bank and a few others as well now scattered around um and but it, yes at the time there were just probably a, a good dozen of us that were meeting up exchanging data and lois was a was the central hub for it really people sent her data from all over over the world when i stayed with her the phone would be constantly ringing with people wanting data and she'd charge them for it and then uh, give them the data and this was long before 
PayPal and everything else. So goodness knows whether she ever really got paid for the phone calls that she answered, but it became her life's work and I didn't want it to become mine. I was always interested in data, mainly because I wanted to learn astrology and I wanted to learn it through examples of people living and breathing rather than textbooks telling me what chart placements meant. So it, it led to hopefully a better understanding of placements and a realization that people can't so easily be categorized by their charts. So, uh, <clears throat> but I think she, I wrote to a letter once saying, uh, on an email or a fax, one, I forget what it was, it was many years ago, saying that I had other things I wanted to do. And she wrote back, devastated. She said, you know, um, Ed and I, Ed Steinbrecher and I were ready to basically adopt you as our astro child. And now you want to do something else? You want to go off and do other types of astrology? I think she was hoping I'd dedicate my whole life to continuing to collect data. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do other things. So um, I, I probably, uh, without knowing it, uh, turned down all sorts of uh, things that could have been uh, left to me, etc., with the data and the all those things. But hey, um, it wasn't my life work. It was certainly hers. Right. And, and how did you meet Lois? Uh, well, I wrote to her originally, and we I just ended up sending her a lot of data. And then I had a bit of spare time, which is back in the 90s. I haven't had much since. And I promised, uh, I said to her, I know you're finishing the second version of Profiles of Women, which oh, I've got somewhere here. Um, anyway, I'll find it in a minute. But one of those, it was a, an amazing, amazing volume of, of work um, next to my data, data books. And uh, I said, I know you're doing that. I said, I'll uh, very happily check the data and add dates and life events and things of all the people in the book. So she sent me basically, uh, this is again, it came by post and I went through and I edited and I added, cause I'm a, a big reference book fan. I added hundreds and hundreds of dates. So if she'd say this person was married in uh, 1987, I'd be able to give her the date for that. So the book filled out, it was great. Uh, it was a great project to work on and uh, yeah, I, I did a profile recently for TMA on Lois, and uh, I, I mentioned quite a bit about that as well. I might attach that with the with the data article um, for everybody because it was a it's a, just a nice warm tribute uh, to Lois, and that's what yes, her, that was her life's work. And so we we chatted, we communicated, we had great fun. She was very Gemini. She um, loved. Uh, all sorts of observations and comments and loved all the data coming through. I helped her with her data news as well and getting that sorted, uh, doing a lot of editing for her. And then I went over to see her just before her Profiles of Women book was republished, which I think was just after actually, it must have been probably 1996, 97, something like that, 96. And we had spent a week together having fun and she gossiped about everybody. And I heard the gossip about people that I had yet to meet. So, and I wish I'd written down all the gossip she told me because I then met everybody she spoke about and couldn't remember half of it. It was just more interesting to be uh, listening to her stories and tales about clients and life and living in Hollywood as she did for many years, her stories of meeting Mae West and uh, all, you know, all sorts of interesting things. So she was fascinating. Um, not, not an easy lady uh, and 
um, and she'd been through so many cancer operations as well. So she'd had a really uh, tough time and she had a very protective shell around her. But, but we got on well um, most of the time and we had, um, we had fun exchanging data and uh, I really understood her dedication. So this is one of the reasons why I put a lot of effort into working with her and loving what I, what I do. So we'd write off, I'd write off for birth certificates from all sorts of places. Nowadays, everything changed after 9-11 and all the birth data, uh, all the birth registries that you could write to for data just shut down overnight. And wow. there was a real sense of protecting people's privacy and all of a sudden places where you could get data or birth certificates, should I say, uh, just shut down almost overnight because of the... Uh, the whole homeland security development in America. So, um, but before then, Lois and her friends were getting data from places they really never should have gotten it. So, uh, um, and for example, there were a great husband and wife team, Tom and Thelma Wilson, who got data from from New York by I think probably being very charming and chatting to registrars and people, and then somebody just wrote to the registry and said, they're getting data, why can't I? And it just shut off uh, the whole avenue. So a lot of different things happened. Um, and Lois would tell me who was getting data in what ways. And uh, again, a bit more gossip about how people got away with things. So it was great fun. It was, uh, but it, yeah, it was, it was an expensive pastime writing and getting certificates uh, from all sorts of, states in america texas and ohio and california etc so uh, but it was um yeah i i miss it in a way i'd love to have more time to explore and investigate but uh no i haven't so i leave that to sky <laughs> schofield can do it and other people can do it yeah. yeah 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 well and i hope this podcast inspires some other people to pick up the the task because we really need it there's huge segments of um chart data that's just uh, not in Astro Data Bank. I'll have you tell people about Astro Data Bank here in just a minute. But as I was doing research on out-of-bounds planets, and uh, even uh, even with Hollywood director's charts, um, that's just a, an area that maybe people haven't been as interested in as the actors for some reason, because we're missing huge chunks of data. There are just tons of famous directors that we don't have any data for. Um, there's, it's uh, tough to get it. It's tough to get in touch with people in film because people in the film industry have so many betwe people between you and them. Yeah. Uh, one of the best ways of getting data, and we can talk later about this if you want, but um, the reason I did British Entertainers is that most of the people I either could connect to, or there were about seven, 800 people in that book. And we had obviously about probably half of them. And I wrote to hundreds of people. I have a, again, somewhere in here, I have a box filled with all their replies and all the all the answers, et cetera, that they wrote back. But actors are much easier to get in touch with. You just write to their agent, the agent automatically passes on the fan mail. And very often, if you include a, 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 a stamped address envelope, they'll reply back to you within days. So when I did my first mail out, probably in 1995, 96, I sent it to about 700 people. Wow. And, got a really amazing response rate. Musicians are far more difficult, uh, again, with agents and managers and people who are protecting them. Actors tend to just answer their mail and read it. Um, the other difference is that if somebody's written a book 
I would say instead, if like a sports person has written a book or a a film star or uh, anybody in the public has written a book, don't try to find their agent, write to the publisher and they'll forward it. That's much easier. Um, And because whoever it is, for example, Madeleine McCann, whose mother wrote a book about the disappearance of her daughter. I haven't written to her, but she's one of those people that may not reply to anybody. She's had a lot of flack and a lot of... um, uh, all sorts of media intrusion, but uh, I would write directly to the publisher that published her book and ask them to forward it. That's how I would work nowadays. Um, or nowadays, I mean, Cy Schofield from Australia literally goes on to Twitter and speaks and writes a note and then gets a lot of people get data off Twitter all the time from celebrities. Uh, whether it's the real celebrity, whether they really know it, um, you know, you, data is 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 unpredictable in that way or unreliable sometimes. Um, I, over the years, I've written to people or they've given me one time and then we've discovered the, their autobiography says a different time or the birth certificate says a different time. Uh, so it's you know, people's memories, people's, uh, you know, the, all these things can be fallible, including birth certificates. Yeah, definitely. Well, can you tell people a little bit about, for those who don't know what Astro Data Bank is and how it got started? Um, I, as much as I do know about it, really, I mean, Astro uh, Data Bank originally was a computer program uh, that um, Lois bumped in, I think, again, before, just before I actually met her in person, Lois bumped into a computer uh, operator, computer programmer, maybe that's the right word, uh, called Mark McDonough, who came up to her at a conference and said, something like, I'm going to be important in your life. And he said, I'd like to uh, take all your data and make a data bank of it. And she was delighted, as you can imagine, because she tried it with ISA and it became political, as sometimes these things do when you're part of a committee. And ISA had built this amazing data bank off Lois's data, and then it just ground to a, to a halt, I gather. Um, so she met with Mark. They created a program. She emailed me. Well, I'm not emailed. She faxed me one day and said, uh, I've got no idea what to call it. And I said, all your books are called Astro Data, one, two, three, and four. Why didn't you call it Astro, Astro Data Bank? And she was like, oh, that's interesting. So it became Astro Data Bank. And Mark created this program, which I still have a copy of. It's pretty amazing. Uh, but then it um, got sold to a Richard Smoot, if I'm not mistaken, who I'm not sure what he did with it, but he sold it to Alois uh, from Astro.com, who then made it free and accessible. So it's now online. And he has a number of editors doing it. And really, as you say, it doesn't contain everybody in the world, sadly, but it does contain, I think, about 30,000 time data. Um, The thing to remember, and I say this in my 101 class uh, when I'm teaching um, in London, is always make a note of the source when you're when you're uh, when you're doing your own chart, other people's charts. Make a note of that um, because when somebody says six p.m., it literally could be their guess of what early evening was, or it could literally be on a birth certificate. So uh, from the from very early on, Lois inspired me to make notes of sources uh, so I could trust. The data may be more than a simple estimate or guesstimate of you know, sometime between six and midnight or something. So I've always done that, always put in data sources. And we, it just 
it makes us, I think it makes us better astrologers if we've got time data and we've got an idea of what we, uh, what we're looking at, what we can rely on. And if we can't rely on the angles, we can't rely on the houses uh, and perhaps we can't rely on the moon. So uh, I, you know, I'm a big fan of flat data charts that just looking at them, but I do love a time chart, of course, an accurately time chart. Uh, but it's something I think that when you're learning from day one, you need to be aware of, uh, of, uh, of, of the differences between rectified, and I talk about this in, a, I did an article on rectification a few years back, and the idea of how astrologers rectify is horrendous. Uh, I've I've heard oh well I'm sure he's Capricorn rising because he's he looks like my brother or uh, he looks like somebody and you realize that that may well be but it's it's perhaps not the most scientific way forward and rectification is incredibly personal and the way we read charts is the way we see the world and so when we start to rectify people's charts it's what we expect what we're encountering in that client, what we expect to see in the chart. So if they seem quite Mars-like, we might put Mars on the ascendant and rectify it that way. But it, it could very simply be that um, they have a Mars that's aspecting our chart and we really tune into that. So all sorts of pitfalls with rectification. I know Stephen Forrest has written about it as well over the years. And uh, it's, it's, it's so accurate data when we start off with that it may be wrong, it may have been recorded incorrectly, and over the years I've got uh, files up here, right, I've got four or five lever files full of birth certificate photocopies and things that I've picked up, and, and where registrars would cross out the AM and circle the PM or do the opposite sometimes, and you wouldn't know what was what. Uh, so um, it's um, volatile data, and being an investigator, challenging the information in front of you is often useful. I know I'm skipping around the place talking about all sorts of things, uh, but it's, um, uh, you know, start with accurate data, but also question that too. Right. Yeah. No, that's all. Those are all great, great tips. Thanks for that, Frank. And, and really fascinating story with the start of Astro Data Bank. And, well, you know, one of the things I think that's uh, that was a little bit sad up until recently with Astro Data Bank being converted from the software version to the, uh, well, it's kind of like the cloud version is that some of the features from the software weren't brought over. So you can search by a person's name in Astro, Astro Data Bank online. And for those who don't know, just Google Astro Data Bank, all one word, and um, you'll find this amazing database online that you can search, um, and, but the search is limited. You can just search by the name basically. So if you know the person's last name, you can type that in. In the software, you used to be able to search by um, you know, aspects, look for everybody who had moon and cancer in the sixth house or whatever. And um, so that's missing from the online version. But um, recently, a couple of years back, uh, David Cochran from Sirius incorporated the Astro Data Bank in, uh, data into um, Sirius software so that you can now search using just about anything you can think of. And that's what I use to do my out-of-bounds research. It's probably been more than a couple of years now that I'm saying <laughs> time goes by so fast. Um, but it is in there and it's a feature that people miss sometimes. He does his best to keep it updated, but they've been doing a lot of work with Astro Data Bank and I find that there's charts being added every day. It's, so, it's an amazing, it's an amazing team effort really. And uh, it's, 
it's it's an amazing tool and i'll often go on there to find data that just to, it's easier to go on there than to look in my files of data i've collected <laughs> and to be able to just go in there and, and check there are different tools i it's maybe no point in me saying this but sai helped me find you can search under names but you can also search under at the right at the bottom you can search under things of Sagittarius ascendant or you can your people born on that particular day but you can also do other uh, research of people whose data is more accurate than others right. so there are things you can do in in um, when searching for a name but I forget how to do it now he told me how to do it once when I was creating the music book so uh, but it's um yeah it's interesting David Cochran of course having um, put that together it is one it's that's wonderful to be able to do that because the old Astro Data Bank software, you could uh, you could give scores as well. You could find a chart that was very Taurian by maybe giving three points to the sun, to the moon, to the ascendant, yeah. two points for Mercury's in Taurus, and then work out who are the most Taurian people in the Astro Data Bank to yeah. use, or the same with a strong Mars. It had amazing Astro signature capabilities. Uh, so I missed that, but I've got it on an old computer and I still have a fiddle every now and then looking for particular charts yeah. that uh, might appeal. So, and you can do that in Sirius too. Um, and Sirius, he also includes a lot of other chart data that isn't in the Astro Data Bank. For instance, there's this huge, huge amount of baseball players charts, which um, threw me for a loop when I first used the software because I, as I did my first search for Venus out of bounds. I was like, whoa this is really, so many baseball players have Venus out of bounds. This is amazing. What does that mean? And then I wrote David and he's like, oh, that's just because there's a bunch of baseball players in the database. Yeah. So, um, so there's a lot of extra chart data. I think there's maybe, there was 40,000 at one point. I think maybe there's 60,000 charts in there. Now there's a lot of charts. Um, I've yes. got to get that program. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a great, it's a great resource. So can you tell folks who don't know about it, uh, just about the Rodden rating system and what that is? And, and right. Wow. Yes. Well, what, um, what Lois did was uh, she created a four-tier system, um, five-tier system, A, B, C, yes, yes. Um, or, and now it's six, actually. And it was a way of classifying the source of the data. So uh, she made it originally A, and then she made it AA. So double A rating means that it comes from an official record. There's something usually that's been created at the time. You do get birth certificates that are filed 20 years, 20 years late. But generally, the birth certificate, birth record, hospital record are all considered AA rating. And it, it doesn't mean it's infallible. It just means that it's come from a source at the time that registered it. And so it could be notations in a family Bible, the baby book, family written record, uh, but it's the best evidence of the data being accurate. And then she made A data, which is from the person themselves or a friend, uh, personal manager, family member. It can also be, you can often uh, see things in, in uh, hospital, sorry, uh, in um, newspaper, uh, reports where they say uh, 5 p.m. today, some so and so had a baby, or 5:08, or something like that. Um, and that's a data um, that that's not birth certificate level, but it's 
it's been given by somebody in the know who could know it. And then there's B data, which is really, she wrote that um, because it's connected to biographies. And biographies sometimes have a lot of artistic license in them. So biographies, autobiographies, personal websites are all B rated, uh, where um, you're not sure where it's come from directly, but it's come from somebody involved in reporting biographically. And then C, the C data is caution, stands for caution, because there's no source. It's been rectified, perhaps. It's speculative, um, approximate, like early morning or around dinner time. The only approximate birth times or quotes that I would listen to are usually the ones around midnight, uh, because people have, often have a story. You were born just before midnight, just before April Fool's Day, or you were born 20 minutes into the new day. They tend to be more accurate than noon or afternoon or morning. When people say they were born in the morning, I always say, what does morning mean to you? Or to, what did it mean to the mom? Is it 5 a.m.? Is it 9 a.m.? Um, me getting up in the morning means about 9, 10 a.m. Uh, so C is caution because the data hasn't been validated. And then DD, uh, double D or dirty data, uh, means that there's a conflict. Um, it could be it's like C data, but there are a few of them. So the person maybe has contradicted themselves. Uh, they said they were born you know, 5 a.m. and then they told somebody else 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, for example, Hillary Clinton is a great example of dirty data because we have a number of sources saying that she said 8 p.m. Other people have been quoted for um, a.m. times and all sorts of people. So when you have dirty data, it means there's a lot of unsubstantiated quotes, at least two uh, unsubstantiated quotes of date, place, or time, um, and data that have, that's unverified or has been contradicted. So AA, A, B, C, and D are the modern rating systems. And very useful to a mountain astrologer, many newspaper um, astrology periodicals and journals all insist on people uh, giving the source now. And the source doesn't mean Lois Rotten, that's a simple reference. The source is birth certificate or from that person. And uh, yeah, it's important to, to recognize where it's come from. Over the years, there have been a few data collectors who make things up. Uh, you just have to Google that and um, see a little bit of that. That's what came up with the Hillary Clinton data a few years ago. And I, I don't know, maybe it's about we astrologers so want to be the person who got the data. And it may be about people needing to be recognized for that or um, wanting to be quoted, etc. It's a, it's a funny thing. I understand that. Uh, it's nice to be recognized. It's nice that somebody writes an article and says where the information came from. And the 20 bucks that you invested to get that is recognized in a nice way. But I'd never go as far as to, to fake data just to be the one that found the data. I think I'd, my Saturn in Gemini would be too scared and my moon in Virgo would be too scared of, of losing my reputation for <laughs> honest, reliable data as much as I can, but it, it happens. So occasionally there've been data collectors who've sort of gone to the dark side, shall we say. <laughs> right, which is why it's important to look at that source uh, in Astro Data Bank and, and uh, know know what that source is because if it's just you know some even if it's just a data collector saying i you know i i got it from 
X, Y, or Z person. Um, that's not as that's not as infallible as uh, as an actual copy of a birth certificate. It's true, and astrologers have been rectifiers for many many years, and. Uh, we all do that with our own birth charts as well. We're all keen to look at that and change it. And uh, yeah, I've, I've been to a few astrologers over the years who have literally rectified my chart and taken half an hour off the time. And I think, well, why have you done that? And they're like, oh, well, I just think you, you'd be more like this. And I think you don't even know me yet. Right. It's a strange, strange thing that astrologers do. We make a huge number of assumptions about people and their charts uh, so it's a it's a um, interesting should we say interesting field in some ways and for those who don't know i rewind this one as well rectification if you haven't heard that term that's where we try to figure out what the exact birth time is if we don't have any clue or some people just get really um specific i'll say about trying to determine uh what minute they were born and, you know, uh, if you think about the moment of birth, even if you do have an exact time on the birth certificate, you know, mine is 12.54 a.m., which seems like, well, somebody was paying attention to the clock on that one. It's a pretty specific time. But still, you know, was the clock off by a couple of minutes? You don't know. Um, did they glance at it when the birth kind of started or was it when it was over? You know, there there, there really can be nuances, even um, with the birth certificate. So some people will do a rectification just to kind of prove the time, so to speak. And maybe we can have another podcast sometime and talk about all the, the uh, pitfalls and issues with rectification, Frank. But um, I know that you, you like to use uh, solar arcs to do your own. Is that right? Um, I do. I think I think... I wouldn't say most because I, I haven't spoken to most astrologers, but I, I get the impression that a lot of people who rectify use solar arcs because they tend to be clearer, more obvious in that way. They're not like transits where transits will go over three to five times over a point and uh, they, you know, solar arcs just hit a point and then move on. And so if you give an orb of half a degree like I do, you can usually fine tune uh, the birth time or you can test it in a way but even then you know I have a mutable mercury my feeling is that uh, I, I know people with fixed mercuries are like well it's absolutely right and I I never think anything is absolutely right I'm always aware that uh, my understanding and and after discovering birth certificates and charts of people you thought they were one thing and then they turn out to be born on the other part of the day, um, you have to be relatively flexible and realize the charts, uh, people use their charts in ways that we might not expect, or the charts manifest or show up in ways that we wouldn't necessarily expect. And also, uh, the bottom line, I think, is that astrology explains so much about who we are. It's not completely who we are. But there's also the, let me try and focus on this, there's also the simple issue me. Ah, um, there's also the simple issue that um, uh, what you um, what you imagine to be uh, confidence or generosity in a chart um, may not be what you imagine it to be. So you might think, oh, I'll give them a Sag ascendant, or uh, the moon should be in the fifth because they like to gamble, and it could be quite a different motivation for why they like to gamble or are lucky or etc. And the chart has many, many ways of showing uh, uh, the limited language we have to describe people. Uh, 
So we might call somebody confident, and that could be 150 ways of seeing that in the chart. Not a simple way of, oh, they must have something in Leo, or lots of fire and stuff like that. And uh, an idea of what confidence means anyway is... Uh, is variable. Confidence comes from experience sometimes, from expertise. It could be a Capricorn thing. So I think that we have our language and our ability to describe people is limited and the chart appears unlimited in many ways. So this is part of the reason why rectification is problematic because what one word that we use uh, can be seen in so many other ways in the chart. And it's like that dreadful umbrella word creative as well. Oh, oh they're creative. And you're like, well, yeah, you're, you're creative, but you're destructive. Um, what do you mean by creative? Do you mean artistic? Do you mean uh, you know, intuitive? What do you mean? Do you mean, are you a painter? Uh, are you an astrologer? Whatever, you know. So um, uh, language is limited and astrology perhaps, uh, you know, as, as one actress once said to me, you're only as intelligent as your interviewer. And maybe people are only as um, remarkable as, they, as the astrologer to describe them in that reading, in that moment. Right. So, so yeah. many good points. And that was actually getting at um, something I was hoping to hear you talk about on this podcast, just that I've heard in your teachings, you talk about looking at so many charts, having looked at thousands of charts has taught you that you can't really pin down one specific quality trait uh, event to a, a particular chart signature or sign. I'm thinking about this meme that's going around right now on, on in social media, Facebook and Instagram, where they're like, um, serial, serial killers are more likely to be these signs than these signs, you know? And if you actually look at a, the charts of a bunch of serial killers, all of the signs are represented. Uh, all of the, you know, every, everything is represented. If, if anything, the chart might describe how they like to kill people. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it doesn't describe whether somebody is going to kill people. No, I, I remember being told when I was teaching myself and went to places, I think it was Stephen Arroyo, it might have been somebody else, but uh, he was looking at a chart of a mass murderer and a woman uh, who chopped up his victims and, a, and a, a student in the class said, that's pretty much my son's chart too. And Stephen Arroyo, perhaps, it could have been somebody else, said, well, what does your son do for a living? And she said, well, he's a butcher at the moment, um, which wow. made everybody laugh. You know. But, um, yeah, we, we find different ways. Uh, the chart, I don't think the chart shows morality. And every day we make moral choices or we make choices not to steal from other people, not to abuse other people, not to kill, etc. perhaps. Uh, so, yes, it's, it's interesting. There are always uh, these Facebook groups where people are saying, well, what do you think this means? Or how can you see this? Or sexuality or whatever. And they really are as varied as the people. So the serial killers, um, interesting, I mentioned Dana Holiday earlier. I've I written about serial killers in my uh, Heart of the Chart book. And she said they were all mutable. And uh, pretty much she did a big research on, on their sun, moon, ascendant and inner planets and found that they were heavily, heavily mutable, far more. And so I investigated this. And serial killers, the idea of uh, the mutable signs like to repeat things and like to um, evade detection. They like to play in their own way. And there are all sorts of things that you can associate that. But... Um, 
we know with astrology, you, you look at two or three charts and you think you found a signature or the answer to something. And then somebody just dumps another 50 charts on your desk and none of them has what you've been looking at. And you realize that there's no simple answer to a group of people. And yet people really want that. And you're still seeing well-known astrologers or respected astrologers um, give these out as though that we found it. And you just haven't. And the more, char- I say, the more charts you look at, the more you realize that really what you're seeing in a chart is somebody's energy. And you're seeing, uh, you're not seeing the thousand people that have impacted them in their lives and their charts and where they were born and their opportunities or lack of opportunities, all sorts of other things that are not written in the chart that impact how much you use that potential, how much you, um, the, the choices in whether you use that energy creatively or destructively. Uh, and this is, this is the big issue, I think. And thinking that this chart is going to tell you what somebody does for a living, whether they're going to be rich or famous, a serial killer or even an astrologer, is, um, I think, probably not the way to go. It's reassuring to think that astrology might tell you that, but it's naive. And I don't think it does. And I was in Turkey recently, and then uh, Turkey has a history of quite strong traditional astrologers teaching there. And I was trying to undo some of the, um, the uh, you've got a debilitated Mercury, full stop, period. You know, um, nothing else, no creative help to look at what right. that might mean, uh, etc. And then uh, a student came in uh, from Turkey and she'd, she was almost mesmerized she came in for a free class at the at the school in london here and she couldn't believe that it was more open than this idea of the chart just tells you who you are and you're stuck with it and she said well i couldn't even get into one of the schools in turkey because apparently i don't know who this was but apparently the the person who runs the school actually checks your chart to see whether you're going to make an astrologer um, before you're allowed to come in. Wow. So you're vetted. And I'm thinking, again, my mutable Mercury says, isn't life about having every type of astrologer rather than my fixed view of what somebody should be or what attributes they should have? And I didn't even ask what they should have had because it would have just enraged me further. Right. Because I, uh, how ridiculous to block people from... Uh, from doing a subject that is going to be empowering, enlightening, because you don't think they've got the signature that you believe. Well, maybe that was a maybe that was a blessing in disguise for her, because it doesn't sound like that astrology was going to be very empowering. <laughs> oh, exactly, exactly. And uh, as I said, she came to the school in London, and she was open mouthed that her chart could mean a variety of things and wasn't uh, this fixed bit of awfulness that she'd been led to believe and oh we i think we do such a bad job as astrologers when we uh when we uh pigeonhole people into our, it's not even our pigeonholes i've been saying this i said this at norwak almost in every lecture the only debility is the astrologer's inability to describe something with a creative possibility yeah. And yeah. I, I've been saying that for the last few weeks. When if you think something's debilitated, no, it's the astrologer that's debilitated. <laughs> they have an inability to 
to describe something well that is creative and helpful for you in your life. Because whatever age you are, whether you're 20 or whether you're 80 years old, you've been living with that energy already before you were told it was limited or debilitated. Um, so I, 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 if you're going to talk those sorts of things, at least have an idea of what you can do with it that's positive and helpful um, and every placement has a wide range of possibility. Um, I'm not trying to say everything is positive and wonderful. I'm just saying think outside the box and don't be limited by uh, some ridiculous association from hundreds of years ago. And maybe that's the, maybe that's the whole point of that debilitated placement that you have to use it in a different way than might come easily, you know. Uh, well, I'm a big fan of, of research which is one of the reasons why we're having this conversation, because I think that if you do a lot of chart research and look at a lot of charts, it, you, you come to the, the same conclusion that you just did. I mean, if you, you know, somebody out there should do a, a, a study of debilitated mercuries. Um, I did a, I, I learned a little something about that one when I did was researching out of bounds mercury. And I thought, Oh, I wonder what, how that shows up in the charts of wrappers. And I wonder if we'll see, you know, certain types of wrappers having out of bounds mercury. And um, in most cases, my assumptions were were kind of blown apart. And uh, but I learned a lot of other really cool things too. Like uh, you know, a debilitated mercury does not make you a, a bad rapper. <laughs> in fact, there are rappers with like mercury and Taurus, you know, aspected by Saturn, who are known for their like speedy delivery and articulate, you know, sharp popping sounds. So it's it's uh, astrology is more descriptive of of how than what in a lot of cases, I think, like we were saying and earlier. You, you put a so-called debilitated position in a garden that waters that possibility um, of families that, get, that give you books, give you education, get you to explore that, and it grows to something quite remarkable. Uh, you just have to look at the chart of Steve Jobs to realize what somebody with a so-called difficult Mercury did. You could end up doing all sorts of other traditional or classical things. Well, it happens to be elevated because of this and that and whatever. But ultimately, this is what people get stuck with. And what we know about Steve Jobs is that what he was taught didn't speak to him. He needed somebody literally to say, you think differently. Yeah. Let's fly with it. Yeah. And this is perhaps what the, the people with so-called debilitated positions need. They don't need that drumming in of, of education that most people have. And uh, they're actually looking for something different. And we, we, mustn't, la we mustn't label them that, um, which people do, you know. Mercury yeah. retrograde, um, mercury in certain signs, all sorts of things. And uh, you just see, as I say, you see brilliant people do things with so-called debilitated they do brilliant things with debilitated positions, uh, classically, classically debilitated positions, and they do very little with pristine planets in wonderful, shiny condition that should do me. And it's all about motivation. It's all about the 101 other factors around us that help us grow and develop. So yeah. astrology gives you part of the picture. It doesn't give you all of it. And if you think it's going to give you all of it, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to come up looking like you don't know what you're talking about when you start declaring things on YouTube or Facebook or to clients. And you're going to look like an idiot, really, if you think it's going to tell you everything. Or worse, 
doing harm to someone. Like, uh, you know, what if this woman wasn't motivated to continue searching that came to you and she went to that astrology school and they said, I'm sorry, you're not going to make a good astrologer. Just give it up. And what if she said, okay, I guess I, I guess I will, I guess I'll give up my dream. <laughs> it's like, I mean, that's, and I, you know, we, I think we've, uh, I am hoping to do another podcast on um, how astrology can be harmful. So we won't get into all that today because I can really go off on that one. But, but yeah, there's, yeah. there's you, you and I have both heard even worse stories than that. And so, um, yeah. yeah, what are, what are people doing with the, Oh, sorry, just to add one point about that. I will go off on one for very 30 seconds. <laughs> okay. I think there's a difference between so-called eminence or doing well in it according to traditional astrology rules and just enjoying something as well. And if your chart doesn't show traditionally that you're going to be the world's most famous astrologer or singer, not that I think the chart can show you that, uh, but if it doesn't according to those rules, what about just encouraging per somebody to do astrology because they love it right. or to sing because they love it? So the idea that they've got to be eminent is so short-sighted. It, it, again, it drives me nuts and I think it's very, very limited. So, but that's another podcast. Yeah, for sure. We'll have to do that one because I, I recently heard um, Michael Myers, or I read Michael Myers uh, wrote a rant in the 90s um, that, that's really wonderful about humanistic astrology and what it, and it, what it has to offer um, this particular conversation. So, so we'll, we'll talk about that in another podcast. Well, Frank, uh, let's, I thought we could just wrap up by um, what advice would you give to a young person who, you know, is hearing this podcast and gets interested in doing some data collection themselves? What are some of the pitfalls that they'll encounter and some of the challenges with data collection? Well, I, uh, it depends on what they want to do with it. Uh, I think uh, the the key is to go online to Astro Data Bank and other places and to see if it's available first, somebody you're looking for and, and to do some research. But if it's not, there, there's a, if you Google Astro Data Bank along with the um, Data Collector's Handbook, um, I don't think it's been updated for a number of years, but some years ago, late, uh, Lois, created this data collector's handbook uh, and she collected uh, this um, uh, wide range and I rang up every one of the 50 states to find out the date they put birth times on the certificates because there's no point in writing off and spending your money and then getting something back that doesn't have the birth time on it. Uh, it's usually just simply you know, a lot of, lot of um, places at, during times like Ohio, for example, went in the 60s without recording. They just created a new form that didn't have the birth time on it. So anybody born in the late 50s to the late 60s in Ohio tend not to have their birth time on the certificate, and then it was put back on. So it's worth looking at the data collector's handbook that uh, I helped Lois uh, compile all those years ago just to get an idea um, whether the birth time is available. That's the first thing to do. And then to, I guess, to get in touch with Astro Data Bank or people like Cy Schofield who um, can really give them a, a good start in uh, where to go, what to write off for, um, to realize that if you go into some of these places, you can spend an hour, for example, in the California database looking people up and you can get a certain amount of data free or you pay for an hour's time rather than writing and paying 20 25 for each birth time you want so there are lots of um 
lots of things to discover, I think, first. And that's probably the data collector's handbook is probably the place to start to get an idea of if it's available. And uh, if you live near a, a registrar, a regi data birth, birth registry, um, going in, asking the rules, the regulations might be really, really useful um, because some places used to at least allow people to come in and do some research. Um, you're just not allowed anymore generally to have somebody's birth certificate because, because of fraud and uh, um, individual losing their rights and people then applying for social security numbers, all sorts of things. So, um, But you probably can go into certain registrars, registries uh, and speak to registrars about uh, collecting data. So there are lots of different ways forward. They can email me, they can email Astro Data Bank um, and um, hopefully uh, contribute if they wish. Well, thanks so much for chatting with me today about data collection, Frank. Really appreciate having you here. And I'll uh, drop in your links in the description for the podcast. But um, you want to just tell people that your website URL for the, for the podcast for listening in? Uh, my own website? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, it's www.frankclifford.co.uk, uh, also londonschoolofastrology.co.uk, uh, and th those are the two, really. Okay, yes, great. One. You can email me through there as well. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks again, Frank, and uh, I look forward to seeing you on a webinar soon, um, and uh, we'll have you back on the podcast soon, too. So uh, take care, and we'll see you again next time. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for tuning in to the Astrology University podcast. Study astrology online with some of the great astrologers of our time at www.astrologyuniversity.com, where we offer webinars, online classes, and virtual summits to bring you inspiration, connection, and insight through the study of astrology. Take good care, and we'll see you next time.